0: Alright, if you um, need a copy of the handout, just raise your hand. I have my lovely assistant take care of that. Let's begin in John chapter 13 this evening. The Gospel of John chapter 13. If you're looking in the epistle of 1 John, you're not going to find 13 chapters. So, the Gospel of John chapter 13. Throughout history, people have worn different symbols that help them mark themselves as Christians. Can you think of some of these symbols? They wear a cross, necklace, or pendant, or some other uh, type of cross uh, symbol. And this is supposed to set them apart like they are a Christian. And even the secular world has, has picked up on this. In fact, uh, not too long ago, there was a recent fad with a what Would Jesus Do bracelets? And you'd find these sports figures with just the worst character and the worst uh, lifestyle wearing these What Would Jesus Do bracelets. And this was supposed to set them apart as, as, uh, as separate from the world, that they were indeed a Christian. When, But you know, as a Christian, we don't need special symbols to set us apart. We don't need some sort of pendant or necklace or any type of jewelry to set us apart as a believer. The way that we are set apart in this world as a a Christian is by our love. Let's begin reading in John chapter 13 and verse 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That the very first one is love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 says, And walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And then turn to 1 John chapter 4. And before we get our, to our passage this evening, I'd like to show you one more verse on how that... Uh, that very um, fruit of the Spirit of love sets us apart from everyone else in this world. No one can love like believers love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, if you would, turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. Tonight we're going to see that love for others is proof of spiritual life. Love for others is proof of spiritual life. Let's begin reading in chapter 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we have love for the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before Him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abide in Him and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Love for others is proof of spiritual life. We'll see this displayed in three three ways. We'll basically answer a couple questions. First of all, what does love look like? The appearance of love. We see this in verses 16-18. through John begins with the the model of love in verse 16. He shows us that this model of love is displayed by the uh, the person who displayed love the best, and that was Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So it's displayed for us in the perfect model, Jesus Christ. Never had there been a time when love was displayed so Perfectly. Lots of people have tried to show their love to other people. Lots of people have have spoken about how they love someone. But never has love been displayed in this way where a person came and died for a group of people who were totally unworthy of of his dying for them. And that's what Jesus did. But not only is love displayed for us in Jesus Christ, love for others sees a need Verse 17 says, But but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. So John obviously in this verse is talking about people who see this need and then don't do anything about it. But I think the opposite is also true. The point is, we should see the need. That's what love does. Love sees a need that is there and then responds to it as we'll see. Because the next point is that love for others responds to a need. Verse 17 says, But whoever has the world's good, goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? We could say it this way. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and then responds to that need, the love of God surely abides in him. That is what John is trying to tell us. That, that if we see the need, it's not enough. Okay, seeing the need is, is an important part. But John's point is we have to respond to the need. We have to use our own resources, whether that be our time, whether that be prayer, whether that be finances, whether that be our own possessions, and as we'll see in just a few minutes, it could be even our lives. How much are we willing to give of ourselves to other people? Most of the time when we see a need, we think about how it will affect us. And rightfully so. We have responsibilities that we have to maintain. Responsibilities that we have to take care of. And so we can't just um, re- disregard all of those responsibilities in order to, um, to take care of that. But, but the point is, is that we, we do need to see the need. We need to recognize how we can meet the need and then respond to the need. It's not something that that needs to be passed on to someone else or some other group, maybe the church. Oh, that's the church's responsibility. If we see the need as an individual, if we have the resources to meet that need, then we need to do it. Because John says here, if you have the resources to do it, if you see the need, and yet you close your heart to that person who has the need, how can the love of God abide in you? How can it? The point is, it cannot. Because believers love. The the, the mark of a true believer is love, um, among many others. But but one of the marks that John is showing us tonight is, is the mark of love. Love for others is expressed in action, not simply in word. Verse 18, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, we get the example here from Jesus verse 16 where he lays down his life for others and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren so we say yes if it came to it i love you so much that i'd be willing to die for you that's easy for us to say but john is saying don't don't just give me words okay it's it's not enough to give me words because you can't really wor- love in word only you have to love in action so put the set the words aside he says and and you need to love indeed and in truth and that is you see a need respond to it don't wait till you get to a point in your life where okay this is going to be a matter of life and death for me now i'm willing to lay down for that person be, lay down my life for that person because you know what if you get to that point you will not be willing to lay down your life for that person if you have not been loving them all along if you have not been responding to needs that you have seen in their lives and so it's not enough to love in word or in tongue. Now this does not mean that we should not show our our love to other people in words. okay there's obviously ways in which we can love people through our words. obviously we can encourage people. we can um, we can exhort them to to love and good works. so But this should not be the only way that we love somebody because words simply are the easiest way to show that we love someone, but it's not the the best way. You know, I can tell my wife that I love her very much, but she doesn't really believe that until she sees it displayed in my actions. You say, you know, if I came home from work and I said, Honey, I love you. And then I go and do nothing else but uh, take care of my own personal desires and um, not pay any attention to what she's done all day and not talk to her or anything like that. And at the end of the night I say, "Honey, I love you." What would she think of it of me? Do I really love her? Or am I just saying that I love her? Because love is displayed in actions. Love is not displayed simply in words. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. Paul, in this situation, is really wanting to make sure that he that the, the Corinthians see the love that he has for them, even to the point where he was not willing to take any offerings from them. He's saying, listen, I actually, and he says this um, kind of sarcastically, I've actually robbed other churches, meaning I've taken money from them so that I wouldn't have to be a burden to you. And you know why I'm doing that? I'm doing that because I love you and because I don't want you to think that I'm doing this for the money. You see, a lot of times the way that we display our love is through word, but also sometimes we display it because we want other people to see what we've done. And so we want to be recognized by other people. Paul, in this situation, was not trying to be recognized by them. He was trying to get them to see that he was displaying... True love. Love is not about um, satisfying our own desires, or our own goals, and love in life. Love is about the other person. Love is about meeting the needs of others. And the qualification of giving to other people is not that um, we have to have the most money in the church. Okay, I see a need in the church, but you know I don't have as much money as that person, so I'm not going to meet that need. That's not what John says at all. In verse 17, he says, whoever has the world's goods, do you have any resources? And I'm not just talking about finances, okay? but, but that's usually the way it, it shows up. And a lot of times we dismiss our responsibility to meet that need because, hey, someone else can do it. Do you realize what would happen if, if everyone were like had that type of attitude? You know, someone else could do it. It's not really my responsibility. Sometimes we even think, well, you know what? The church can handle that as a whole. Let the church take care of that need. But that's not what John says at all. He says, if you see a need, if anyone sees a need and has the world's goods, has God given you the resources to meet the, someone's need? Then you should you should respond showing that you are a true believer by the love that you have for other people. Sometimes we pass pass that responsibility on to the church and we say, well, you know what, I give money to the church, so we'll let the church handle that. But you know, sometimes that really becomes a crutch for us because we think that it's like paying a bill. We put money in the offering plate, therefore I have no responsibility to love other people because I'm loving them through my money that I'm giving to the church. But that is not the case at all. We must show our love for other people by meeting their needs out of our own resources above and beyond what we give to the church. Now, obviously it's a good thing to give to the church, but, I'm, but I don't think our duty ends there. Our responsibility does not end when we put that envelope in the, in the offering plate. A person who has the world's goods who sees the need but does not do it is a person who closes his heart to that one who has the need and does not have the love of God in him. That is John's point. Love for others is displayed in action, not in word. Love for others is primarily displayed toward other believers. I want you to notice how many times John speaks about love for the brethren? Remember, he's writing to churches here. He says in verse 14, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the world. Is that what he says? No, he says because we have loved, we love the brethren. Look at verse 16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our unsaved neighbors. No, he says... For our brethren, verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his family member who is an unbeliever in need and closes his heart against him does not have the love of God in him. Now don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not incorrect for us to give of ourselves to the world. Okay? If we see a need in the world, we respond to it. But the primary way in which you show the love of God is as you see a need within the local church and respond to it. Our response should not be that we give to the church and allow the church to handle it. It should be that we respond to it ourselves. And do you know what happens when that type of love is, is displayed in believers' lives? People within the church are encouraged, certainly. God obviously is honored because you are doing as He has asked. But also, the world begins to see this. The world sees this from the outside. Wow, they have a special connection with each other. They give of themselves without thought of any return. What is it that is different about these people? Sometimes God uses the love that we have for one another to be a testimony of the love of Christ that He has put within us. And as we'll see, the source of that love can only come from God. It's not something that we can generate within ourselves. It's not something that we can just think hard enough about so that we well up enough love for another person. It's something that's generated by God. And that's the next point, the source of our love. Where does love come from? Love comes from God. Verse 17 again says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? The point is that we cannot have love for other people unless the love of God abides in us. And what happens is the love of God abides in us and that flows out in love for others. So love for others is generated by love from God. And so the implication is that those who have the love of God can love others. Those who do not have the love of God cannot truly, genuinely love others. Now, you you may be thinking right now of unsaved people who seem to be very loving. In fact, they may be more loving in your mind than people that you know who are believers. But I would suggest to you that the love that they show is... It, it, they may be giving of themselves. They may even give to the point of death, but they're always doing it with the wrong motive. Unbelievers cannot love God, and unbelievers cannot love others truly. They can—they only love themselves, and that is because they are of their father, the devil. The devil has sinned from the very beginning, and so they sin naturally, and they can only say yes to sin. They can't say no to sin. They constantly follow after it. And John says the way that, that believers are distinguished from unbelievers, the way that the church is set apart from the world is by this symbol of love. It sets us apart from all other people that we love others. So what does love result in? We see the fruit of love in verses 14 and 15 and then verse 19 to the end of the passage. What does love result in? The first thing is that love results in proof of life. John is talking about in this book, if you remember, the proofs of life. Okay, He's talking about how we can check our spiritual pulse. How can a person know if he, is truly, he or she is truly a believer? How can they know? And he's given several of them. First, he said that it's based on a a proper belief in God and in His Word. Second, you can have proof that you are a believer based on whether or not you obey. Do you obey what God has commanded? And then this is the third main one that he shows in in this book, and that is that we love others. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Okay, John, what does it mean to pass out of death into life? To pass out of death into life is simply the idea of passing out of sin and ungodliness into a life of spiritual um, goodness and truth. And now we are now we can be godly. So John's saying, How can we know that we are a Christian? He says this way we know that we are a Christian because we love God the brethren he who does not love abides in death in other words he who does not love is still an unbeliever so one of the proofs that we have that that we are a child of god is whether or not we love we love other people we love specifically other believers so the question i think that we need to ask ourselves is do we love other people he says those who do not love abide in death Someone who abides in death is someone who's characterized by hate and has never experienced the new birth. Becoming a Christian is basically a resurrection from death to life and turning from hatred to love. I want you to notice in Galatians chapter 5, turn with me there to Galatians chapter 5, I want you to notice the list of sins that characterize an unbeliever and then followed by the list of virtues that characterize a believer. Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, Factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty strong language, for they are an unbeliever and they will not receive eternal life. Okay, look at those list of sins. Do you see anything in there that looks like true love? Immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. These are things that describe a person who is a hateful person, a person who cares more about himself than about other people. And it's displayed in these several ways in Paul says that those who practice such things, those who make these things the regular pattern of their lives cannot enter the kingdom of God. They will not do it. But notice in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If God has changed your heart, if God has made you into a believer of Jesus Christ, then no longer will you be described by someone who is hateful, who is envying, drunk, carousing, idolatrous, immoral. No longer will those things be characteristic of your life. Why? Because you have passed out of death into life. You have been, verse 24, crucified to the flesh with its passion and its desires. And now, the Spirit resides in you as a believer. And the fruit of that Spirit is those things which display themselves first of all through love. If God has done a work in you, then He will have changed your heart so that you are, are able now to love other believers. No longer are we characterized by hatefulness because we've passed out of death and into life. Turn back to 1 John chapter 3 if you would. Those who respond in hatred toward the people of this world and toward the circumstances of this world are described as those who do not have life abiding in them. And John goes even farther by calling those who hate as those who are murderers. Look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John goes so far as to say that, you know, this this idea of hatred is basically the same thing in god's eyes as murder jesus said as much in matthew chapter 5 verse 22 he says if you have hatred for someone in your heart it's no different than if you murdered that person this speaks to the idea that the sin is not the primary outward action it's not just that you said something mean to someone it's not that you simply killed someone it's the inward reflection, or it's the the outward reflection of an inward attitude. It shows what's really in your heart. If your life is displayed in hatred, if your life is displayed with with envy and strife and jealousy and factions, and that's because you have an inward attitude towards those things. Out of the abundance of the Mouth, the heart speaks. And so we should not be surprised that John goes as far to say that, that if we are hateful in our attitude, then it's no different than we are, if we are a murderer, if we are a person who has taken someone else's life, who was made in the image of God. So the lack of love is evidence of spiritual life. The practice of love, on the other hand, is evidence of spiritual life. The practice of love is evidence of spiritual life. He says in verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Verse 19 says, we will know by this that we are of the truth. That's another term for basically having saving faith. We will know that we have saving faith and will assure our heart before Him and whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The external sign of our internal change is that we love other believers. And that is why John uses this verb here in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Really, we could translate it that we are loving the brethren. That it is the continual pattern of our lives That we display love for other people. That is how we can know that we are a child of God. So, the external sign of our internal change is that we love other believers. The practice of love is evidence of spiritual life, but the practice of love also negates a condemning heart. You see, what John is saying here in verses 19 through 21 is that our heart does not condemn us, it doesn't say that, no, you're not a child of God. Instead, it does the opposite. It affirms that we are a child of God when we love other people. So we must assure our condemning hearts. Because a lot of times what happens is we can have this attitude or this mindset that, you know what, maybe I'm not a child of God. Maybe my life doesn't really display um, the truth that, that I say I believe. And we can often be stricken with uncertainty and insecurity that may result in self-condemnation that I am not a child of God. But John says the way that we suppress that condemning heart, see, our, our heart is, is condemning us and saying you're not a child of God. But the way that we suppress that is by displaying love for other people. The Spirit engages our hearts. The Spirit uh, Uh, confirms with our spirit that we are the child of God. And he does this when we are obedient to God's Word and when we are displaying love for other people. So that's how we suppress our condemning heart. And when those feelings come, we we have to persuade our condemning heart that that is not the truth. Because we believe what God has said, we obey what God has said, and we love other people. Those are the proofs of life. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. Okay, when I say that when we have the proper beliefs, when we obey God and when we love, that is not how we become a believer. Those are simply evidences that we are a believer. Okay, God is the one who does the work of salvation within us. We cannot do it based on our own works. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. So, these things do not cause us to become a believer, but they do assure us that we are a believer. They give evidence that we are. So, verse 20 could read that if or when our heart condemns us, it is evident that God is greater than our heart and that He knows all things. You see, the human heart, even though regenerated, is not infallible, it is not without error. It may generate feelings of doubt and insecurity. Because we are still marred by sin, remember. Even though we have been saved from sin, we have been saved out of the world, it doesn't mean that sin no longer has any power over us. It just doesn't have as much. But God, however, even though our heart can condemn us and we can become insecure about our salvation, God is greater than our hearts. And God knows all things And God is the one that, through His Spirit, assures us of His presence and of His real self-sacrificing love in our lives. So we need to turn to God when we have feelings of doubt and insecurity, and we need to make sure that our actions match our claim. We should not um, we should not have any reason to have assurance of salvation if we are living like the world. Why would we? If we're living just like our co living who is an unbeliever, why should we have any assurance, of, any assurance of salvation? Now that doesn't mean that we're not saved. It simply means that we're not living like we are. You see, the Spirit gives assurance to those who are living like believers. And that is because the fruit of the Spirit is displayed in actions. And the action that we're talking about this evening is about love. The fruit of love for a believer um, with a sensitive conscience is assurance. so one of the one of the things that love does for us is when we display love for other people, it helps us to to be assured of our our standing in Christ. And that is what John is saying. it 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 gives to us assurance of our salvation. That's why he says in verse nineteen, we will know by this that we are of the, of the truth. We will know that we are saved. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. When we show love, we have assurance of our salvation. Love for others in verse 22 um, results in proof of life, but it also results in answered prayer. Verse twenty-two says, "And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Love for others results in answered prayer. This is the opposite of self-condemning insecurity. Rather, instead, he says that we have confidence before God. That now, that's at the end of verse twenty-one. Excuse me, beloved. If our heart, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The opposite." Of a self-condemning heart is confidence before God. And so we now can go before God's throne and be assured that God will answer our prayers when, verse 22, we keep His commandments and do what? Do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And only believers can be pleasing to God. Do you realize that? Unbelievers cannot please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is what? It is impossible to please God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 tells us that we are to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. So many times we want to do the right thing, but we never go down that road of trying to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. We, we say, and maybe we even feel that we have as our goal to please God in all the things that we do. And yet we do not follow what, what Paul tells us to do, and that is to find out what God wants. How do we find out what God wants? Well, obviously we do that through prayer and the reading and the studying, understanding of the Word of God. As we look into the Word of God more, we find out what pleases God. What has pleased God in the Old Testament? What has pleased God in the New Testament? What is it that God demands of His people? That God demands of His people. And as we see how God uh, acts and reacts to people, we find out what is pleasing to Him. And then we can do these things that are pleasing in His sight. And basically, John's point here in verse 22 is that... As we obey what He has told us to do, and as we do what is pleasing in His sight, everything that we ask will come to pass. Because now we are praying in such a way that that is pleasing to God. It's not self-centered prayer. I mean, how many times as a young person did you pray for a lot of money because you thought that's what you wanted? Or you thought maybe that's what you needed? God, I need more money. Give me a million dollars, or give me. My prayer as a child was to have a Lamborghini. That was my favorite car. Okay, that wasn't a very good prayer, because that was all self-centered. That was that had nothing to do with God. You see, I wasn't trying to find out what was pleasing to God. I was trying to find out what's pleasing to myself. And the point is, is that as we become more like Christ, and we find out what God wants for us. When we pray, we can ask anything in Christ's name and he will do it. Now, obviously, we don't know all of God's plans, all of his plans and his purposes. So maybe, you know, you may be thinking, well, I would like to see this church grow. I would like to see these pews filled or something. That's a good thing. Wouldn't God want that? Well... That goes back to what we talked about this morning, and that is that we don't know all the information. Okay, we don't know what all is 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 in the mind of God and the plan of God. Maybe He's trying to do something in each of our lives before we get to that point. Maybe we, if if He grows the church at, at a certain rate, or if it it just explodes at one. Uh, point in time, then maybe we would take all the glory for it. Maybe he's trying to get us to a place where we have become humbled and we recognize that it is God who is in control and that God is the one who deserves all the glory. So this um, this is a promise. In fact, Jesus Christ says the same sort of thing that if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is a promise, but we have to be careful that that this does not mean that we will get whatever we ask. Okay, Because the the key qualification there, the key caveat is that we have to be doing what is pleasing to the Lord. We have to be asking in accordance with what God desires. Not an easy thing to do, but certainly a promise that we can hold for for ourselves. So So the response... Um, to loving others is that we have answered prayer. And as believers, we now do have the ability to please God unlike anyone else in this world. Only believers have the ability to please God. And because God is a loving God and because we now have the ability to please God, don't you think God would want to give things to His children? Jesus said, who of you, if your son asked for a fish, would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for bread, would you give him something else? No. He's like, none of you would do that to your son. His point is, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you what you ask? The problem is, a lot of times, we, like Joshua and Israel, as we studied this morning, fail to ask. We think we can handle it on our own, and, um, and this is a great promise that we have for ourselves, that God will answer our prayers, and that He will give to us what we ask when we show love for others, when we do things that are pleasing in His sight. And then the final thing is that the proofs of life are affirmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. John gives for us in rapid succession, verse 23, the three main proofs of life that he's taught to us throughout this book. He says in verse 23, this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the first one. And love one another just as He commanded us. That's the second one. The one who keeps His commandments, that's the third one, abides in Him. And He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So the three main ways that we can be confident in our salvation is through a proper belief in Jesus Christ true love for other people and proper obedience to what God has commanded. The continual action of belief which is displayed in love and obedience is evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence. And that's why he says at the end of verse 24, we know by this that He abides in us. How? By the Spirit whom He has given to us. He will say later that the Spirit... Testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. It is the spirit who gives us confidence that we are believers. Because whether we think it or not, Christ or God does not want you to go around loathing about your whether or not you're a Christian or not. Okay, God wants you to be sure of your salvation, but often we are not because we. Um, We are guarded by sometimes a wrong understanding of the Scripture. Sometimes, though, it's just a a wrong uh, lifestyle. We're living like the world. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the agent that God uses for our assurance. He's the one that shows us that we are a child of God. And he uses the love that we have for others and the obedience to Christ's command to assure us of our standing in Christ. And so, how can you know that you are a believer? How can you know that you are a child of God? Is it because you wear a cross on your clothing? Is it because you have a Jesus fish on the back of your car? Is it because you, wore, you wear some certain Christian bracelet? The way that you can know that that you are a child of God is not by any of those things or, or verses hanging in your house. The way that you know you're a child of God is if you have love for other believers. Do you love other believers? And not only will you know that you are a believer because of your love, other people will recognize that as well. You know, it's not something that we just tell people. Hey, I'm a believer. I... I love people. It's something that we show with our actions. Anyone can love in word. I could come up to you and say, I love you more than anything and I would be willing to die for you. But I would not really love you unless I was willing to give of myself to you. If you had a need, if I was not willing to to meet that need and I had the resources to do so, I would not be loving. No matter how much I said And the same thing is true about each one of us. When it comes to love, it's not whether we do it in word. It's whether we do it in action. Turn to Luke chapter 6. We'll read this passage. I'll comment on it and then we'll be done. Luke chapter 6. In verse 30, Jesus is teaching His followers here and He says in verse 30, Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The way that we show that we have the characteristics of our Father who is merciful, verse 36, is by showing mercy to other people. And sometimes we think, well, you know what? I, I don't mind loving people who are nice to me. I don't mind loving people who love me back, but, you know, I can't really love this person. I mean, you don't understand how evil this person is to me and how he or she never responds to what I do for them. You know what? loving like that happens all the time all over the world by unbelievers. You constantly see people loving people who love them back. But the true mark of a real believer is whether we love those people who do do not love us back. Are we willing to give of ourselves to others, to use our own resources to people who seem not to care? And are we willing to even do it to the point where we are loving our enemies people who hate us. Because if we love people who love us, what credit is that to you, Jesus says? Even unbelievers do that. If we give expecting them to return, what credit is that to us? Even unbelievers do that. The real mark of true faith in Jesus Christ is true love for other believers. Whether or not we are willing to... to see a need, yes. But, but to respond to the need. Are you willing to do that? Do you see needs within this local body of believers? Do you see someone who has a need, whether it be financial, whether they need to just have someone come alongside of them and encourage them? Maybe they need to be prayed for. Maybe they just need someone to spend time with them. Do you see the need? Do you have the resources to meet that need? And are you willing to do it? Because the true mark of, of of a believer in Jesus Christ is not whether or not we have the proper symbol on our lapel or on our on our doorpost at our house. It is whether we have that true mark of love in our hearts that's displayed not in word, but in action. And that's going to require some work of us, isn't it? But that's what believers do. They love, don't they? Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we are grateful for Jesus Christ who is the best display of love. He was the perfect model for us to follow. And we... uh, endeavor with all that we have to to mimic that love that he had for us that he was willing to suffer reproach and shame when he shouldn't have had to because he is the king of all the universe he is the sustainer of all things he holds all things together and yet he came to this earth When people mocked Him and scorned Him and ultimately put Him to death, He did it because He wanted to be obedient to You and He wanted to display the love which He has for all mankind. Lord, sometimes we find it hard to show love for someone in a way a lot less than that. Not by giving of ourselves, not be giving of our lives, but just giving of maybe a little bit of time, or a little bit of our the resources that you have given to us. Or we pray that you'd be help us to be stewards of the things that you have given to us. We have received so much so many great things from you, and so often we hoard them and hold them for ourselves and do not share them with others. Lord, I know that you're not calling for a communistic system or a socialistic type system, but we understand that we should give to others as we see a need. Help us to do that because we cannot do it in our own flesh. Because with our sinful nature, we desire to keep all those things for ourselves. We desire for other people to love us, but not for us to love others. So we need Your Spirit to work within us And we know that You have promised to do that to those who are believers. And we pray that You would make us a church full of people who are loving to other believers, who show true love to one another by giving of ourselves in any need that comes up so that You would be glorified, that we would be assured of our salvation, and that the world would be able to recognize the love that we have for others, which can only come from the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.